You're listening to a production of Swanson Media. What's happening, everybody? This is Joe Swanson. Welcome back to another episode of Sullen Radio. This episode of the show is brought to you by TattooNow.com. If you head over to TattooNow.com forward slash Sullen Radio, you're going to get $50 off their basic responsive website build. Get a website built for you or your business or your tattoo studio that's going to look great. It's going to function great. TattooNow.com forward slash Sullen Radio. You get $50 off their basic responsive website build. Check them out at TattooNow.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by TattooSmart.com. If you're using a digital platform in your design process for your tattoos, then you want to check out TattooSmart.com. They have incredible brush sets, tutorials, everything you need that's going to get you working better and more efficient digitally uh, to improve your tattoo process. So check them out, TattooSmart.com. If you use the promo code SWANSON on checkout, you're going to get 10% off all your digital tools. TattooSmart.com, ancient craft, modern perspective. All right, guys. Well, for now, you can still follow me on Instagram at OG Joe Swanson. This is Sullen Radio, and this is my talk with Dick Warsaki. This is Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson, the premier art-driven podcast. I'm just excited to talk to you, man. I, you know, listening to that interview and hearing some of the, you know, parts of it hearing that Greg Irons and Jack Rudy wanted to kill you if you came to California. Tell me about <laughs> that shit, man. That's the that's the stuff I want to hear about. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. I was at the second Eddie Bass tattoo convention in Houston. And uh, uh, Jack and, and Greg were there. And I really respect Jack's gray work. It's It's really what I wanted to, to pursue, you know, and I walked up to him, uh, to him and introduced myself and asked him what it would take to work for him. And I imagine he hears that at conventions a lot, you know, uh-huh. and he said to me, Holmes, there's too many tattoo artists in California already. And Greg Iron said, if you come out here, we'll kill you. <laughs> Just like that, you know, and, and as soon as they that? said that. Well, I didn't say nothing really. I mean, you know, these are the rock stars, and I'm just somebody from Omaha. And so, but in my mind, I thought, "Well, you fucks, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work for you, Jack Rudy." And it took me three years to get there, <laughs> but the, I did. What were the steps that you took after that fateful meeting? Well, part of the deal was Mark Mahoney. Okay, uh-huh. uh, Mark really. Uh, that tattoo convention, they would leave the floor open all night long. So you could be in there two, three o'clock in the morning tattooing and they never closed the door. And uh, Mark Mahoney was working all night and uh, me and a friend of mine, Buck, were sitting in my booth and uh, listening to tapes and partying, having a good time. And we're the only two people that are on the floor is, is uh, my booth and Mark's booth. And he's working. We're just we're listening to music to the blasters. And Mark takes a break and walks over and starts talking to me about the blasters, how I knew about the blasters. And, you know, some guy from Omaha. And I just told him I like Lee Allen's saxophone. And we, we started a friendship over that. And Mark really, really helped me with technique and 
just positive input. He treated me like a, a friend instead of like, you know, just another dude, guy from whoever, you know, I mean, he was really good to me. And, and through the help that Mark gave me, I became a better tattoo artist and hmm. time, you know? Right. And, and so you met Mark after that meeting, after meeting Jack, you met Mark at a convention. Same and, convention. Oh, the same convention. Yeah. Yep. And, and so you go back to Omaha and, and were you just, did you just communicate back and forth with Mark then, or did you see him on, were you at that point on that convention circuit? Well, there was really probably just one or two conventions back then. It was, mm -hmm. you know, Eddie Bass had a couple conventions and National Tattoo had the conventions and there really wasn't very much beyond that back then. It was even before the tattoo tour, you know, we're talking, I guess, 78 79 you know conventions were just beginning back then yeah yeah it took a while you know it just uh mostly it was just meeting mark uh in person uh, and then uh seeing him over and over at the conventions for a few years you know and mm -hmm. and then i just uh i got lucky uh i asked uh jack for a job and danny romo uh well, they hired me to go to work in San Diego at the, uh, with Winona. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Danny Romo dived into a swimming pool and broke his neck. So they needed somebody at, at uh, Good Time Charlie's Tattoo Land to fill in for Danny because he was hurt. And I moved out and went to work in uh, Orange County there instead of uh, San Diego and then I moved my family out, and we were living in Orange County. When Danny got better, uh, I didn't want to move again. I told Jack I'd just make my own shift and get my own customers, and I just stayed there. I just stayed there and worked. Then, yeah. did, when 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 you asked Jack for a job, did you know that he had the two shops, both L.A. and um, San Diego, and you were just were you willing to go to either one, or did you have it set that hey, I want to go to this one? What were you thinking? I really wanted to work at Good Time Charlie's. In my heart, man, uh, Charlie Cartwright's my hero, yeah. and he always has been. And uh, I, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be that good that I could work at Good Time Charlie's. And I, I just really applied myself and and tried hard. And boy, when I got there, man, it was like, whoa, you know, these guys are way better than I am. <laughs> You yeah, said you, I mean, you had to get your chops man. up. Oh. You had to get your chops up real quick. Like you were talking about Mike Brown and lettering, how you learned so much from him. Oh man, and, uh, the guy was amazing. I. Uh, Mike, what was that Mike like was, going uh, into that shop day one? Scary, uh, but I'm bold. You know, I, I'm. I, I don't have no fear about. It. I just go do it, man. I've tattooed through the mud and the blood and the beer. You know. Working is working in LA was just another deal, man. Yeah, yeah. It was a different. Uh, it was a different mindset back then, too, right? Yeah, I. You know, tattoos changed so much, and uh, I really liked the way it was. Not so much the way it is. It's gotten too mainstream for me. When I first started tattooing, it was like, uh, you know, tattoo shops and pool halls. You, you kind of. Walking in, you'd look over your shoulder, make sure your mom wasn't seeing you go in there, you know. 
that well, kind of a deal. I yeah, love well, you that, started, man. You started kind of from the from the biker standpoint too, right? I mean, and that in itself was was kind of that um, that subculture. So it was almost a it was almost a subculture within a subculture, you know. It's, oh yeah, you know, I I made. I learned to tattoo on uh, at biker shows and mm-hmm. outdoor events. I tattooed in bars. I tattoo anywhere they'd let me set up. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I tattooed everywhere I could. I, I'd do it anywhere. How and, much uh, different was you know? I was thinking about that when you were talking about it on the um, uh, the Last Sparrow interview on YouTube. And for anybody listening here, they can find that interview um, on YouTube. Just type in Dick's name and it'll, it'll come up. And it's, you know, you were talking about starting off on those biker, kind of the biker circuit and the biker runs and, and tattoo parties. And, um, and then you were on the convention circuit. How much different was it doing kind of that biker circuit than the mainstream convention circuit? I never had anybody tell me they were going to kill me at a convention. (laughs) How many times did it happen on the biker run? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> you don't pull this off, you're dead. What was the well, scariest yeah. I'm one? I'm serious, to you? man. I heard it many times, you know. What was the scariest one to you that you were like, uh, oh, fuck? I've been in clubhouses where uh, I shouldn't have been tattooing at all. Uh, I went to see this guy once and I had an experimental tattoo machine. It was. Uh, sort of a reciprocal thing looked like a ballpoint pen and uh, that's all I had with me and then I ended up in the in this clubhouse and uh, these guys wanted tattoo and wouldn't take no for an answer and you know I mean I've never tattooed with this thing at all other than a couple dots on my leg and and it was just more like a high school experiment than a real deal and uh, I, I mean, it was like, you know, we better pull it off. And I mean, that was them telling me. And, and, uh, when I finished, they, they both thought, uh, it was the best ones they ever saw. So, you know, it's just like that, man. And you got out of there. Oh yeah, man. I walked, I mean, walked out with a patent on my back, man. Yeah. You know, they love their work. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I, you were talking about, uh, a guy that I'm familiar with in my lineage of tattooing, um, Bert Rodriguez, I worked for um, Vince Vince Pelton, uh, who learned from Bert. Um, after Vince came uh, out of prison, he got a, I think he got the state of California. Bert got the state of California to pay for Vince's apprenticeship, um, and <laughs> you know, um, and he had to tattoo. One of the things he, I think he had to tattoo gang members, you know, do some cover ups or some shit. And um, Bert had the whole thing figured out. But that guy, uh, um, you know through the Tattoos and Blues Festival that I always loved working. And, um, yeah, man. It's, 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 I like the Tattoos and Blues. I went to the first two of them, I do believe. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't been out. I just stopped traveling. My my family got to a point where it was time to stay home, and mm-hmm. I just gave up the road, you know. Well, you'd been, a, you'd been on the road a lot, right? I mean. Oh, I had been, yeah. I mean, from uh, when I started till. Uh, probably my first 12, 15 years of tattooing was constant travel. I, I'd, I'd work the, the conventions. I'd always do a convention, then travel like a 
a triangle, try to go yeah. to Suzanne Fowler's and down to Louis Lombie's and come home or go to the ink spot uh, with Ferguson in New Jersey. And I always come down to Florida. It always seemed like I always loved to go to Louis Lombie's. Yeah. Uh, that was a great place to work. Yeah. So at the peak of your travel, how, how much were you like out of the month? How many weeks were you traveling? Do you think? Uh, she would say, I, my wife's sitting next to me. Yeah, she said, probably I was gone a third of the year. Wow. Which is quite a bit, you yeah. know, I, basically you just come home long enough to, you know, restock and, <laughs> and go do it again, you know? Right. What was your favorite part of, uh, about doing that, living that, uh, road, road stop? Cause uh, I see a lot of guys like, what's interesting to me is it's, that's kind of, found a resurgence I think you know you got a lot of guys that are just on the road and they live from convention to convention or private studio to private studio shop to shop anywhere in the world um and you know what was your what was your favorite part about doing that the travel and and meeting people everywhere mm -hmm. and and you know I got to be a better named tattoon in the country than in my own town uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean seriously. When when I opened when I first opened Grit and Barrett, uh, I hired I hired Robbie Holmes to work for me, and he'd only been tattooing a little while. I mean, just really just in his basement, you know. And mm -hmm. I, I sat him at a station. I said, <laughs> I mean, like a week into the shop open, I said, I got to go make money to pay the bills. Uh, she'll pick up the PC. You open the shop and close it. I'll see you in three weeks. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and that's just the way it was, you know. You know, it's crazy. You know, I, I look back on when I started too, and my boss, I think, did a good job at apprenticing me, but it was taught me how to put machines together, taught me how to make needles, um, gave me the tattoo time books that, that Ed Hardy had published, and supervised my first tattoo. And then had some of the guys in the shop supervise my second and third. And then I was off to the races, you know. And if you have questions, you ask these guys because they've been tattooing longer than you. <laughs> yeah, well, my I didn't really apprentice, man. I, I never, I wish I had. Yeah. Uh, my, I have a cousin, or ha he's passed now, but uh, he was my mother's first cousin. His name was Bud Ryman. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I picked tattooing up. Uh, I never had a formal apprenticeship with him. It was more like I watched him work a bit and, uh, he didn't, he was sort of the black sheep of the family. And I don't think he was real keen on, on me being around him because it just caused more family problems. You know, it wasn't looked, it wouldn't be looked good on him to teach you to tattoo and take you down that path. Exactly. But I was stubborn about it and <laughs> he ended up getting in a bunch of trouble and going to jail. And when he did, this is the truth. When he did, his wife called me, and she said, I threw all of his tattoo equipment in the garbage can. <laughs> and you hot-tailed it right over there. She, well, it was 150 miles. <laughs> she said, "She said the, the garbage men come on Wednesday. What day was it? It was like Monday. Oh, I, I told Tess, let's get in the car. We drove up to Yankton, South Dakota, and I, I didn't even knock on her door. I just went over and I opened up the garbage can lid, and there was all this tattoo stuff in there. I got it all out of the out of the can, brought it home. That's really how I started tattooing. Amazing. When do you feel like you got to a point where you 
you had you knew these guys out in California, Jack Rudy and Good Time Charlie and Mark Mahoney. When do you feel like your tattooing went from um, went from a place where it was just okay to hey now I can come, I can go out there and I can tattoo with these guys in, in, in L.A. or I can I think, do this. I think it happened about six months after I got to L.A. Is that right? Yeah. I, it took a while, man. My handwriting was terrible, and uh, it just took a little bit of uh, of doing it. The pressure makes you learn. I mean, uh-huh. you know, God knows they cut your fingers off if you don't do it real good. And I mean, there's some gangsters come around, you know. And uh, I just the pressure is well, how you do it, man. You either do it or you don't. So you just did you. When that pressure, when you started feeling that pressure, you probably knew about that pressure going into the situation, talking with other folks, and and I'm sure just being around. Um, what do you remember about what was your idea? Just like shit, I'm gonna stay up at night and draw and figure this out. I'm gonna watch as much as I can. How did you how did you bridge that gap? I drew. I I would spend. Uh... I drew big pieces, uh, 28 by 29 inch pieces of paper huh. with a uh, pen uh, and a Bristol uh, coloring pencil, a black color pencil, uh-huh. just a black pencil. You can't erase it. And I would do drawings that would take uh, like 40 hours to do one drawing. So I would force myself to, and it was real similar to tattooing the, the technique, you know, the shading and the line work and I did a whole bunch of them drawings. Uh, it helped a lot. What kind of I went subject, back to school. What kind I went of to school matter? for a couple of years. Go on. Those big drawings that you were doing, what kind of like subject matter were you, were you drawing? They were mostly illustrations for, uh, uh, black elk speaks a book about, uh, black elk. John Nyhart wrote it. Huh. Uh, Pretty interesting book. I illustrated it. Yeah. How, how did that come about? That's an interesting. That's an interesting project to take on. Um, right about the time you're going to move to a new shop, where the pressure is on to kill it tattooing. You're- I just, I just, the book was a big influence in my life, and I just did it for myself and. Uh-huh. Uh, all the pieces have sold over the years. I mean, it, I never, it was a collection that I did, but I don't know that anybody else knew what I was doing, you know. Right. And I, I've sold all the originals. So. What was it, uh, ultimately, what was it like working at, uh, for you to work at Good Time Charlie's? What was that experience like for you, man? Best thing that ever happened to me in tattooing. Uh, it's a family that... Uh, uh, it was kind of limited to how many people have ever done it, and I got a lot of respect for everybody that's ever been there. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was a blessing for me. It, it changed my whole my whole status in tattooing, I believe. Yeah. Did you were you guys traveling a lot at that time? Like when you and what what years did you work there? You were saying on the um, the interview it was like what eighty eight to ninety. Yeah, were you guys doing to tra- traveling to conventions and doing that, or what was kind of the vibe in the shop at that time? Oh yeah, Jack didn't mind if he traveled. He was he was really easy to work for. Uh, I, I he was kind of like an unboss, you know. <laughs> well, he was never there, 
So, you know, I mean, he was always gone, man. I, I would, uh, I, I worked at eight to midnight was my shift. And, uh, I would work until if you were at the shop and, and I locked the door at midnight, if you were in there, I would tattoo till dawn if there were people to work on. But if you went outside the shop, if you made me get up and unlock the door, I wouldn't let you back in. So I was, I would work all night long sometimes. And that was when Jack would show up, you know, 10, 30, 11 at night and start tattooing. So, you know, we worked a lot of nights together. It was, I I really liked it there, man. I, Mm -hmm. if it wouldn't have been, I don't like living in Southern California, too many people for me. But the uh, tattoo atmosphere in that shop is electric, and <laughs> right. uh, man, you know, it, it, it was happening. Yeah, what was the what was going on in LA at the time? Like, what was what was the what was the vibe of that city like to to live there, live in Southern California? Well, you know, I had my family with me, man. So I just it was kind of nose to the grindstone time. Sure. My wife had a job. I was making a lot of antler jewelry at the time. Uh, So when I wasn't tattooing, I was making jewelry. And I just really, you know, for two years, uh, we never went out there with the the idea of staying. We rented our house when we left Omaha. We knew we were coming home. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just applied myself for that two years hard. And when, when I felt like it was time to get out of there, we just came home, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What, and when you got back from Omaha, how did it change the way you approached tattooing back in Omaha? Cause you, had- well, it, it really did. And I, I still, I still tattooed on the road. I, <laughs> you know, I had to, cause I mean, it was dismal here, man. I really? mean, I spent, I spent, uh, January once in a shop and did seven tattoos in January. Yeah. That's not good, you know. No. You got to travel. If if that's the way the city is where you're living, mm-hmm. then you got to go on the road to make a life, you know. I, that's did the a, way it was. Did a lot of those Midwest tattooers, because that's where I'm from too. I'm from Minnesota and um, tattooed out there, you know, started tattooing in California and moved out to Minnesota um, back to near where I grew up and um, – you know, were a lot of the, the tattooers out there that you knew of, would they travel as well? They kind of, it was kind of, they had to do that or? or there weren't that many. Well, first of all, there just, yeah. there weren't that many tattooers, uh-huh. you know, so, uh, and I think, I just think a lot of us younger ones traveled. It didn't seem so much like the older guys were traveling. They had established businesses and clientels. Mm-hmm. You know, but we were the new kids on the block and, you know, uh, it, I was the only tattoo artist in Omaha for years and years, man. I, I mean, and, uh, there just was no business here. Uh, what changed? I can't explain it. It was just really, it was terrible, you know? Do you remember? Now there's 70 shops here operating. (laughs) Damn. When, you know, when did it change? Do you remember when it kind of started to turn with the internet no kidding yeah it it exploded with the internet i think information got you know all the things that you used to have to fight to learn from uh an established artist apprenticeship or whatever uh became available Mm 
to everybody on the internet. If you dug deep enough and looked hard enough, you could find what you were looking for. And, uh, the, the art form just took off, man. It gave access to people information that, that was impossible to get before that. Yeah. When did you retire? Uh, were you working? How long did you work with that kind of, in that explosion, in that boom of tattooing with the internet? Uh, I, I, I would have been out of it probably five years now, I think. So did you adapt? Like how much did you adapt as, uh, as time went on with Facebook and, you know, MySpace and, and blogs well, and shit? How much did you introduce into your um, business? Not, not enough. I'll tell you about my last day at work, okay? <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right. I, I, was, uh, I was in a shop. Uh, I had an employee that was a deadbeat, and when I wasn't there, was doing things that shouldn't have been doing. It was a bad scene. Uh, when I wasn't around, I wasn't making much money from them, and uh, uh, I broke my thumb uh, doing some mechanical stuff. I was hurting. It was just this last, like, three years of my tattooing was like this, okay? And I wasn't happy with it. Now, we had somebody make a, 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 a web page for us, and I was getting ready to close the shop. I was probably six weeks or so away from you know, knowing that the door was going to close. And some lady called me on the phone and she started cussing me out for not having updated my web page. <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, thank you for this call, ma'am. You're the straw that broke the camel's back. And I hung up the phone and I called my wife and I said, I ain't waiting six more weeks. I'm done today. I locked the door. And that was it. That was it. Bam. Yeah. You know, when a computer got to be that important. Sure. Uh, you know. It was time to be done. You know what's cool, though, is that you could still, right now, tomorrow, jump on a plane and go probably anywhere in the world and put a couple cool tattoos that you enjoy doing on some people, make a couple dollars, because you've made those connections all those years with those people like Good Time Charlie and Jack Rudy sure. and Brian Everett. You know, you talked about him as well. And I, I love Brian, man. man. He's a great guy. I got a great opportunity to interview him. And, you know, he's he was one of those guys that was in the beginning when I first started tattooing 20 years ago. He was killing it with black and gray. And you saw his work in the magazines and read about Route 66. And so it was a pleasure for me to be able to talk to him and see hear about him still continuing to push, you know, not only tat his tattooing, but, you know, his artwork and really getting into pastels. And, um, it was pretty, it was pretty cool, man. Yeah. I like Brian a lot. We're, we're old friends. We don't yeah. talk real often, but I, I, I really love the guy, you know, I, you, I got a lot of respect for Brian. Yeah. You told him at one time I was only going to apprentice guys that was named Brian. <laughs> is that right? Why is that? Yeah. Just because well, of just Brian so there'd be way too many more Brian's. Nobody know who they're talking about no more. <laughs> it's just a joke, man. Yeah. Well, you told a funny story about being at Sturgis and I think it was at Sturgis that you, you were at and Brian was pissed at you because you were working, you know, more than he was and he was the famous. It was Daytona. Oh, Daytona, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the first time he went down there, I'd been down there a couple of years and had people looking for me already, you know, I mean, they come find me to tattoo and nobody knew who Brian was. 
I mean, it was it was really bad. I I just kept working and working and working, and he just kept sitting there and sitting there, you know. And he was steaming. I, I you know, I, I I apologized and stuff, you know. I mean, I didn't know what to do about it, you know. You can't tell somebody no, I ain't gonna work on you. Let him work on you, you sure. know. You gotta. But, and this was but, all from you know, your. Did you build that clientele up just from your traveling? Yeah, yeah. Just you know, you go somewhere and. And you you do good work, and then mm-hmm. the next year you go, you know that person's back, and maybe brought two more people. And, sure, you know, and then the third year you got your booked, you know. Yeah, I think that still is the same. You know, I, I've I've said it before, man, um, that I really think like such an important part of today's tattooing, so much more. Right, the information is out there, so I think you have to have that salesmanship, that that thing that most tattooers used to have to have, right? It became a point where, you know, all you had to do was have tattoo machines and people would let you, let, let you tattoo them. Um, well, nowadays to fight that, I think people have to get back to that salesmanship that you got to be able to sell, you know, and, and sell your product and why, which is tattooing and, um, know why it's good. And man, it's, it's cool to see people being able to, um, do that same kind of thing that you did and make those connections by traveling around and um, doing it now and, and promoting it all over Instagram. And, and you can see the, you can tap in, I guess what I'm saying is you can tap into whatever kind of um, part of tattooing you want, you know? Um, and it's, it's really, I think we we're in a cool part of tattooing. Um, oh man, there's, it's so incredible. I can't even, comprehend some of the work that's going on mm-hmm. uh it just it's mind-blowing it's so technically perfect you know right. uh, Fr- uh, freddie negretti should be mentioned in any tattoo interview about uh-huh. any tattooing in southern california if we don't say freddie's name we're blowing right. it yeah because he's yeah. like a saint you know i'm serious man Still that guy's it. oh every time i see a picture and and it ain't it ain't just now and then. I mean, it's like prolific, man. Mm-hmm. It's it's piece after piece after piece after piece. He's just on, he's phenomenal, man. Yeah, I think I, really, I think there's that you know that that mindset that you know you guys your your generation of tattooers came up in um, that is a very strong work ethic and it's one hundred percent tattooing and it's for everything drives tattooing and i think a guy like freddie sitting there in a street shop essentially like you know mark has in shamrock uh in the shamrock right there um he it's it's incredible you know he's still yeah, doing it's the best it. in the world there man yeah it is i mean where else are you gonna go and get a powerhouse anybody that's working in there will blow you away you know it's it's phenomenal the work that comes out of there yeah i love that how big tattooing you know in spite of how big tattooing has gotten we still have those shops like mark shop and smith street in new york and frith street in you know um overseas and just these places like i was um i got a uh message from um uh, shit. I'm now I'm blanking, blanking on his name. Um, 
but anyways, we got all these uh, all these wonderful shops around, man, and it's like tattooing has exploded, but you still have these really awesome landmarks, you know, and I just think it's cool, you know, and they're all accessible, you know, I think people should be getting out to more conventions and, and supporting these cool shows and getting out to get tattooed by these dope tattooers that we still have that are in our history, you know, and um, go get, go get tattooed by Jack Rudy at midnight, you know, like it's, yeah. it's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, he's he's a remarkable tattoo artist, man. It's uh, he's an impressive artist. He, I've watched him, you know, make posters, huh. like uh, National Tattoo Association poster supposed to be done yesterday, <laughs> and uh, he'll sit down and, you know, with not even hardly a pencil mark on a piece of paper, he'll take a sharpie and do all that fantastic lettering and. You know, and it just explodes out of the thing, and it's done in an hour and a half, you know. <laughs> I've worked 20 hours with, with tracing paper over and over again, changing lines, you know. But, man, he just blows it out, you know. It was just something Some, that naturally came out? Yeah. He's a natural. What, what do you think the uh, biggest lesson that he taught you working for working for Jack, what do you think the biggest lesson you learned was? From Jack? Yeah. Oh, I'd have to think about it, man. He never really, he's not like the hands-on kind of guy, you know. Maybe yeah. that's what I learned from him being that kind of a boss was, you know, he paid his help good and uh, treated, him, treated him good, and I tried to be that. Maybe that's what I learned from him, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. You know, I uh, I got your your number from a guy named Creepy Gary, who was a acquaintance of mine um, from the I think we first met at Gold Coast Tattoo, and then reacquainted it. Gary Gonzalez. Yeah. Uh huh. You know, I just seen him in Kansas City uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I hadn't talk about craziness of the internet, man. I hadn't seen that guy for. Shit, I mean, I don't even, I can't even tell you how many years, and it was twice or three times that I had ever spoken with him, you know, and we had long conversations, you know, conversations about tattooing and and um, bullshitted about you know people we knew, and I think we even caught up at a convention one time, and um, and so he reconnects with me on Instagram and um, actually referred me to Antonio Mejia, who I also interviewed, who. There's an artist, another one. Damn. Wow, one man. of my one of my favorite interviews that I've gotten to do was to talk to that guy, and and then he referred me to you as well, and so I was just like, um, you know, it's so cool to have these connections, and you know, amidst this explosion in tattooing, you still have these like, um, you know, connections that you've made throughout the years, and it's still small in my eyes to a certain degree, you know? Well, the center of the target's good time, Charlie. Yeah. What is it about Charlie that that you call him your hero, his, you know, that he's your hero? I, it's because it happened through him, man. It, the, whole, the whole gray style of tattooing was driven by him. And then Jack too, but it, and it's the way I like to tattoo, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, he's he's like the guy, man. When when anybody talks about gray work, where it came from, Charlie's the man. It, it you can talk about all these other people, but it all filters back down into Charlie. You know, yeah, he's there no matter who it is you're talking about. Charlie's name's got to come up, and it does. How far it into is. how far into Charlie kind of and Jack and those guys um, and Ed introducing kind of that black and gray style commercially to the masses, I, I guess, and to more tattooers. How far after that did you go to work at um, Good Time Charlie's? Well, I just pursued it. You know, the deal, you know, the guy that I learned to tattoo from, my, my cousin Bud, uh-huh. and this is a this is kind of like a backdoor deal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When he was young, he went to California and got in trouble and went to jail. And he learned to tattoo in uh, in Lumpoc, I think. Okay. All right. So, you know, he come out of there and, and came back here and was tattooing. That's where I learned to tattoo. It's, uh, it's just uh, another... It's the same source as where them other guys got it. I just got it through a different way, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's still that California style of tattooing. It's it, it. Not only is it their style, but it's the style that I learned because they were using the rotary guitar strings, and and it you know that goes back to that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's incredible, man. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, for me as a tattooer to be able to talk to somebody who experienced that whole, um, you know, part of tattooing because it's, you know, I mean, shit for tattooing, tattooing, contemporary tattooing is what 150 years old, you know, it's not that old. And so for us to be able to look at these times and talk to guys like yourself who, um, experienced it, and these big changes and i think we're experiencing big changes right now as well so i I think it's cool to be a part of tattooing right now as we speak but i think looking back and and i think looking back we can kind of you know make predictions for the future and and um it's just really fun to be able to um it's, it's an honor to talk to guys like yourself and and really hear these stories you know thanks man i appreciate it yeah, you know, it's um you started in you know, like I think people get hung up a lot on how people start in tattooing, how people started in tattooing. And yes, is it you know, would it have been nice to have uh an apprenticeship? You say yes, um but you learned and you had these experiences and you you grew as an artist and ultimately you know, accomplish the same, the things that you wanted to accomplish even without it. So I think, um, you know, with the right kind of hard work and drive, we can, you know, people can accomplish what they want. And, and I think in tattooing, we're seeing some pretty incredible things right now. Um, Man, it, it blows me away. Yeah. Are you, do you follow any artists on Instagram or on Facebook? Or are you... I- do you kind of keep I, up with it? I'm friends with a lot of artists on Facebook. I don't do the other stuff. I, I just, uh, just I'm not real. Yeah, I'm not real computer savvy. But I got you know quite a few tattoo artist friends on Facebook, and between what they 
put up and I see quite a bit of stuff. Who do you, who do you like? Whose stuff is uh, are you digging right now besides Freddie's, which is <laughs> which continues to kill it. <laughs> well, Freddie's is always the top man, and uh, I would have to. There's a guy in New York, uh, Pepe Nueve. I'm not really sure what his name is, uh, but he he puts up stuff that's incredible, man. Yeah. And and there's some European tattoo artists that are doing geometrics and and 3D imagery that uh, I see Russian artists. I don't know all their names because right. I'm, yeah. I'm not good at retaining names, <laughs> man. But but there are I know there are Russian artists that are just uh, incredible. You know, uh, Russian art has always been to the detail, to the degree, you know, I mean, uh, like Fabergé eggs or, uh, you know, any icon paintings, you know, they'll do portraits of saints that are smaller than your little fingernail and they'll have eyelashes on them and, you know, uh, that kind of work. And, and they're doing that tattooing in Russia. Mm -hmm. It's, it's incredible. European tattooing blows me away, man. Yeah. It's, do you find yourself enjoying looking at the black and gray stuff or stuff that's, you know, you mentioned geometric. Do you, do you like looking at more off the wall stuff right now that's going on? I like more black stuff. I don't understand. I don't understand the color work that's going on. Uh, lack of black and no lines. I don't, that watercolor tattoo. And I mean, everybody can get what they want. I don't care, but, just in my mind, it's got nothing to do with with me. Sure, you know, yeah, I, I don't get it, and I don't care to get it. <laughs> you know, right. So, yeah, time will tell what it looks like. I don't know. You yeah, know? I think there's, I, I think it's, um, there's a lot of stuff that time's gonna, time's gonna not look kindly on um, that's going on, but um, I think there's and a lot even of some of stuff. my gray work. You know, I mean, some of my early gray work, I've I see stuff that's 30 years old, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it could be stronger. But then again, I see stuff that I'd done 20 years ago that is stronger. Sure. So maybe it was just the learning curve of tattooing, you know. Uh-huh. You know, what I what I was doing, what kind of pigment I was using. Did you find that um, you were able to kind of keep up with uh, different – were there different trends that were happening even like at that time when you were on the circuit, like you were – would find people were using a certain type of black and you'd start using it and see how it Well, works. I always just use my own kind of black. Is that right? Just the yeah, same? I, you stuck with the same and, and that was it? Yeah, I found something that really worked. I liked yeah. the way it went in and and I just have always used it. I, I've been using the same the same stuff since uh, I worked at Jack's. Yeah. You know, color, I, 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 wore, I used... Uh, Phil Fairweather's work, you know, Perma Pro stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he went, you know, they got on him. So I, I got rid of all my color before I even quit. I I just finally said, you know, if I'm to the point where I like doing gray work and I don't need to tattoo to make a living. So if I'm going to tattoo at all, it's going to be what I want to do. When did, when did that happen? Like what point were you at when you were able to make that decision? It just because I was getting tired of it, man. I just, it just get, 
it gets to be uh, when you're when you're not doing what you want to do, it's a job. Mm-hmm. You know, and if tattooing gets to be a job, you probably shouldn't be doing it no more. <laughs> right. But so, how far, like, how far into your career though was that? Probably thirty-seven years, thirty-five years. Yeah. Yeah, you should. It was. Able to, uh, you know, you should be able to do. I would I don't mind, you know, doing a little piece here now and then. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I would never tattoo again in my life. That's not the deal. But I don't pursue it. I don't, I turn people down regularly. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. somebody would have to come with something that really interested me or, uh, I'm, you know, plus, plus then you got all the, the, I'm not licensed to tattoo anymore. I'm whatever you call it. I've given it up to uh, inactive. It's, you know. Right, right. So I'm not even uh, uh, able to legally do anything, you know. Sure. What do you find, like, uh, what are you doing these days? Like, what uh, hobbies do you have? Do you you ever mess with machines? Do you stay involved in that kind of stuff or? No, no, I think there's too many machine builders in the world already. <laughs> I think there's already more tattoo machines that could ever be used. Yeah. You know, no, I don't do that. But I I do uh, make art. I like to paint and I build cars. I I build ground up frame up cars, so What kind of what kind of cars? Hot rods. Okay. Do you have I, a favorite? Uh, I got a 34 Chevy Coupe I'm working on right now. It's a running car. I can drive it, but it's still it's a work in progress. Uh-huh. What's and the, I've got to, what's go the next uh what's the next thing you got to do to that that car? Oh, I got to you know, I I just did like a 10-month thrash on it to get it running and uh uh so it's got a lot of rough edges on it. Uh-huh. And I need to just go around probably for the next few months um, taking the rough edges off so I, I don't cut myself when I even go around it, you know, it's like, sure. you need a tetanus shot if you look at your car, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta do that, man, I paint, man, I, I do, uh, I make acrylic paintings, I, some, some abstracts, and I've been working on a Bonneville Salt Flats, uh, a few of them paintings right now, some That's hot cool. rod paintings. Yeah. Do you ever um, paint bikes? Like, you, I mean, you started painting bikes even before you tattooed, right? Got no interest in it. <laughs> You're like, fuck that shit. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, that was just miserable. Talk about right. not making money, man. I, I could never make money painting. It just too much, too much time and energy, and uh-huh. you know, people can come around saying I could do that with the spray can, and I, you know, I never really, uh, I like to paint, but. Yeah, and the materials got so darn expensive, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you're painting for yourself, I don't even know how you could afford it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you know, I mean, you go look at House of Color stuff. You know, you buy a quart of paint; it's it's eight, twelve hundred dollars for a quart of paint. That's incredible. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I, I can go buy a spray can and do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of uh, what kind of art are you working on right now? Uh, some salt flats paintings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I paint all kinds of stuff. I, I, I like painting. I 
learned how to do icon. I do a little bit of that, and I still like Native American imagery. I, I paint some of that. And so I, I just get into, like, I'll do three or four or something, and then I'll move on and do three or four or something. Sure. Come back, you know, it changes, just interest change over. Yeah. What happens to those paintings? I sell some, and there's a few. There's quite a few laying around the house here. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Someday, you know, my kids will get them. Yeah. My grandkids. How, how do you how do you sell them? Do you do you have like online or do you? Do I don't Facebook try. Or? I really don't try. Yeah. I, if so somebody wants to buy, yeah. And usually, you know, what happens when I buy when I sell a painting is it's I I go buy more paint. <laughs> right. You know that yeah. stuff's expensive. Yeah. So that's really all it is. It just enables me to keep on painting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool, man. You, know, you, you can see, you can go on my Facebook page. It's public, man. People can go there and look at my photos or see the cars I build, see the yeah. paintings I do. Yeah, sure, man. What's, the fav what's your favorite part of building cars? Oh, is it the build. I, I, all of it. You know, this car, somebody was hunting turkeys in it last <laughs> last year okay okay it was in a tree line in kansas and they they were using it as a turkey blind so in in less than a year i took it from a turkey blind to a, a running hot rod how did you find this car that was a turkey blind uh craigslist <laughs> yeah they're like we're selling this turkey blind it's a yeah basically yeah <laughs> it was uh pretty dilapidated you know and sure uh, I've got it to where it's a working automobile now. So how do you just approach like that? Like, what's your what's your approach when you first see it? Like, you just where do you start on something like that? I've torn down. Like, I'm not a car. I love cars. I got a '50 Chevy four door deluxe in my garage nice. right behind me that my dad gave me. Right. And I love '50 Chevys. That's one of my favorite cars of all. Yeah, I'm a 1950 person. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's been. Like, I remember it being in my garage growing up as a kid. Like, he got it for 50 bucks and trade on some, you know, something from some farmer. And, yeah. you know, it's it's been in the family since. We used to drive it around summers. and um, But I'm not, and, and I've torn down, like, a, I think it was a 51 Ford truck and all the way down to the frame. And I put a C-notch. I had a guy come help me, you know, with the really to make sure the welds were good on that thing because i I'm, I'm an inexperienced welder for sure and i'm not um, a good welder but i i'm i can make it stick together yeah yeah you know, i would be embarrassed to say i'm a welder <laughs> around a real welder yeah you know it'd be like saying you're a tattoo artist around real tattoo artists sure. you know yeah uh, but i can i can make it stick together good enough this yeah. car I, I built the frame from uh it's a 34 Chevy frame, but it's been modified extensively, uh, pinched and zed and added to and taken away from, you know, just. Where did you learn uh, to do all that stuff? Um, practical experience. I've been working on cars as long as I can remember. And I, I worked for a couple years at a truck trailer manufacturing company. Okay. And welded there and did, uh, we set uh, trailers on frames, you know, the bodies of liquid and bulk tank trailers on sure. frames. So uh, it's a lot bigger than cars, but 
same principle, you know. Right. Yeah. So, so you grew up kind of just working on cars. What was the first car that you built? That, that you were uh, 57 Chevy sedan delivery was my first car, and I, I did a lot of work on it. And then it got crashed right after I had done all this work on it. <laughs> Shit, how did it get <laughs> crashed? Uh, some lady ran it. I was taking it to get it painted. I had oh, all the body work done. It was all sanded, ready, prepped to be painted. Oh my God. And I was driving it over to get it painted, and uh, some lady ran a stop sign. And uh, I hit her. And when the cop got there, he walks over to her, and he says, Oh, Mrs. Johnson, are you all right? I was like, he knew her. Oh, shit. You know, it was it was uh, just a bad deal. And it changed it changed everything, you know. I mean, I was I was happily working, had a car. Uh, that car got wrecked. I got pissed off. I took off hitchhiking. I went to California. I was a hippie uh, for not until the draft found me, you know. <laughs> and what year, what year did they find you? Well, I, I actually I enlisted because they were kind of, I, I joined the Marine Corps because I was going to get drafted. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? I, I got tired of waiting for it. So um, probably about five months after I joined the Marine Corps, I got my draft notice and in the, in the, came in the mail. <laughs> they told me I had <laughs> I went and to the company clerk. That was been 69 I went in. Hmm. How long did you I got do? I got first tattoo in Hong Kong. Did you really? What was yeah. that like? Uh, uh, fun, scary, <laughs> you know, a guy was washing out of a, one bucket, had a sponge in a bucket. Wow. I mean, it was way back, you know, we're talking a long time ago, man. So how did and, that come about? Did you, how did you get over there? How did you find out about this tattoo place? Was it really? Oh, late? we were just, we were just dummies on the street, man. We come off a ship, you know, we were on, uh, on a, uh, ship and they, uh, we went and got our, the plan was we were going to go get our corpsman drunk and put a Marine Corps tattoo on him. Uh, and we did, uh, we got him really drunk and, and we did that. I mean, the cover, the hat on the tattoo had a little N on it. So he looked like a, a corpsman, but it was a bulldog with a Navy hat on, you know, uh, uh, pretty good little tattoo he was surprised when he woke up the next day but i got a i went and got a i was kind of mad at the marine corps kent state just happened and i got in kind of an argument with the sergeant so i wanted to get something as far away from the marine corps as i could possibly think i got a zigzag man on my leg <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah it was cookies or jerry's i think uh, I believe when you went up the stairs, it was a real long staircase. And when you got up to the top of the staircase, there were two tattoo shops, one on the left and one on the right. And I can't remember which one was which because <laughs> there was two of them there. But we went in the one on the right. I know he turned right when we went in there. <laughs> and then, so you turn in there. Are there, is there flash on the wall? Like what, what does it look like in that place? Yeah, it's small, real small, huh. and flash on the wall a little bit, and in books, right. and uh, just a, you know, basic, basic, mostly uh, uh, navy tattoos and some British stuff because it was Hong Kong. You know, there'd be a uh, British military stuff. 
just mostly sailor and, and uh, army stuff, really. Huh. But then they have the zigzag man too, kind of some. Well, they did. Yeah, I asked for it. <laughs> he, he, you know, he went and found it for me. Nice. And did they speak English? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hong Kong, you know. Yeah. A lot of Brits. Okay. That's crazy, man. So you get it, and and uh, that was the. Was that your first tattoo, or was that... Um... Yeah, that was the first one, and I never got tattooed again, probably for quite a while, man. I mean, years and years. I never started tattooing until I was probably 27 or something, I think. I don't remember. Huh. Something like that. But I had a been, motorcycle. I had a motorcycle. kind of been around it, right? Huh? You had kind of I'd been, been around it, it yeah, because of Bud. Yeah. I mean... You know, my first recollections of tattoos was him when I'm five years old. You know, I mean, he come around and every time he did, my mom would say, "Never ever be like your <laughs> uncle Bud." You know, I mean, I get that lecture every time I ever saw the guy. Right. From my mom, you know, when every time she did that, just kind of like put another nail in the coffin. <laughs> I was a nail, well, a nail in the know, tattoo coffin. Yeah, you know, when I went overseas, my mom told me, don't get killed, <laughs> don't get married, and don't get any tattoos. And, uh, how, I was many getting, of those, how many of those rules did you break? Well, I, yeah, just the one, because I didn't want to come home perfect. She'd be, she'd be expecting it out of me then, right. you know? So <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't dead, I, I wasn't married, and I figured I'd better get a tattoo, because otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> how, how long before uh, she knew about that tattoo? Oh, she probably knew about others before that one, but she knew, she, my mom had a way of knowing things I could never have said even to anybody's mom. I don't know how she would know things, but she she knew things about me that I wouldn't even talk about out loud, you know. That's Tattoo funny. things, you know, I got yeah. them kind of things. Man, Dick, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and I, I really appreciate your time and, and you telling us some stories about, you know, Good Time Charlie's and your time coming up in tattooing, and it's exciting, man. It's, it, it's inspiring to me to hear these stories and to hear um, how hard you worked to make a life in tattooing, and um, it's encouraging, so thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for Thanks for talking to me, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Anytime. Peace, man. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. If you'd like to follow me, you can do that on Instagram at OG Joe Swanson. If you'd like to hire me to come out and create some audio content for your event or host your tattoo convention, hit me up in an email at OG Joe Swanson. Again, I appreciate all the listens and all the love, guys. Make sure to enjoy your right now and keep hustling.